episode 41 of the Globe's most popular amateur baseball slash draft podcast on behalf of Perfect Game, Danny Wexelman, Darren Sutton, Amateur Hour. If you know, you know. If you're here, you know. If you're new, welcome. We tell stories of athletes that are about to reach their dreams, and you would think that that pool wouldn't be very deep. You know, when do you run out? There's only so many college players that are close to being drafted. There's only so many you'd be shocked. Go back and listen to the archive of the players throughout this year and uh, in, in years past that we've been able to, to bring on to this podcast who we see, heck, almost in the major leagues right now. As a matter of fact, Zach Neto is a great example with the Angels as he carves his way. 15 minutes ago, he was on our podcast and playing college baseball. That's what this podcast is. And Danny, you did it again, producing a great podcast. I, I know you wanted to start with Cole, but I want to start with Garrett because I remember last year looking back at Oregon State against Arizona, May 13th. I was calling the game on television. And I remember Jacob Melton, who ended up going in the second round with the Astros. He was like a super stud. I remember the baby Travis Bazana, who's the Aussie, who's a huge spirit on that team. And then I remember Garrett Forster, who was kind of bigger and stronger than everyone else, but wondering where he fit in. And on May 13th, in a crazy game, 12-9 final, in 2022, Forster blasted a homer. And as you shared with me, as you had this great conversation with him, it was throughout that year that he went from being preferred walk-on to scholarship guy. He was a pandemic graduate kid, a 2020 graduate kid. So many seasons got washed away. I can't wait to hear you talk with Garrett Forster. Uh, You you rode this one solo with him, and uh, I'd love some of your takeaways. Well, first, I think the person of Garrett Forrester is probably one of my favorites. We're not, we're not supposed to say that, but I will say the conversation went about 20 minutes and it was, it was before the season started. So we're putting it out now, but the person behind the mullet is one of the most fascinating, one of the most thoughtful, I think that we will have here and what he's been through in his life. His family has dealt with some adversity with his dad. And you mentioned the preferred walk on Corvallis was the dream. He said he had other offers. Corvallis was the dream, walked on, earned his scholarship after the freshman year that you just talked about. And now he's kind of the dude and also draft eligible as well. And so that makes him really, really unique. And then when you see the mullet and, you know, he's he's that big first baseman, he's got the size, but then you learn about his heart. And this kid is all heart. And I, I loved the time that we spent. We talked about the game. We talked about his family. We talked about the decision to go to Oregon State and what that meant for him. And I, I think the part that you'll love the most is we go back in time a lot. We talk about the Susacks, and we obviously know the history of the Susack family and the pro guys, the college guys, what the Susacks have done in baseball. And Garrett grew up with these guys, and he played with these guys when they played up when they were younger. And he dives into those memories and how important the Susacks are to him. And I, I just think the world of the conversation, it took a while to put out, but now he's going to get all the love, and, and he deserves all the praise because he's a great kid. And, and he's dude's hitting above 300. Like, he's doing a really nice job right now. Yeah, and it's interesting. He's 140 on Perfect Games Draft, 400. Simple math tells you that's, you know, fourth, fifth round, and um, that's a chance to go play professional baseball. That means you've, you, you've crawled your way from a walk-on to a college to, a couple of years later, a draft pick. I mean, and, and, and we're talking about, you know, if you put it away in the bank, a great way to start your life and to start your professional career. And the same could be said about Cole Carrick at San Diego State. Now, I was able to join for that conversation, and he's, as far as projectability goes, like a second-round projectable when you look at the draft 400. Carrick is fun because he's a catcher, then he's an outfielder. He's a catcher, then he's an outfielder. He can run. He can steal bases. He, he had a journey in Las Vegas, and everyone has fun there, but in early March where he went against UNLV, this talented athlete, and he went there with San Diego State. He had six hits. He had a walk. He had a homer. He had two stolen bases. He's just a stealth, all-around athlete. His year this year has been incredible, an OPS of around 1,000. But it's behind Cole Carrick that I love getting to know. Turlock, California, blue-collar kid, a great family background. And again, number 57 uh, with regard to ranking in the United States upon graduation in 2020. But that's the spring that trashed everything for an athlete. And the draft didn't end up working out for him. And he's found the right place. You might think, okay, San Diego State, maybe a little further off the radar, San Diego State. 
but not really. He talked about Coach Martinez, and this is the perfect place for him to become in that draft factory, a draft pick this year. We see this a lot in this class, and those guys often went to play their freshman year, and that can be the difference maker, I think, in your draft stock. When you get a chance to play every day as a freshman in Division One baseball, and this dude's just, like, really gritty. If I if I could put him under that definition, he would be top, top guys under gritty because you just look at him. He looks like a ball player, plays a ton of positions, has a bunch of gloves, freshman year, played in a bunch of different places, sophomore year, same thing, and then – between his freshman and sophomore year, it, the numbers were impressive. And then he went and played uh, Cape. He played at the Cape between sophomore and junior year. And and we love to talk about the Cape. We love to hear about these guys and their experiences there. But I, I just feel like this guy's a gamer and he's going to give you his all. I was surprised at what his favorite position was. I'll, I'll, I'll try to sell a tease there. I was a little yeah. surprised at that, but kind of cool. And I think it says a lot about who he is and, and the kind of ball player that this guy is going to become. But yeah, I, I, I was a huge fan of his. I have no prior experience working with him or covering him. And so his name's been everywhere. It's on, he's on draft boards, but I also think like he, he's well known for his defense and for his bat. And so I was excited to get to know him. Could have played college basketball. Here's a couple of hooks to go listen. Could have played college basketball. <laughs> is a switch hitter. And I think anyone who's a switch hitter dealing with elite velocity um, is courageous. But he's a courageous switch hitter. Still 20 years old as we record this podcast. And his mom quite heroic as a young man, a breast cancer survivor. A couple of reasons mm -hmm. to go and listen to how he dealt with all of it. Um, we're we're going to have a chance to listen to a little bit of Perfect Game College Baseball, our, our weekly video podcast as well on Perfect Game TV. Go find Perfect Game TV, uh, whether it be on your smart, uh, smart device or phone. It's an app. It's great. All amateur baseball, a little bit of softball. But Craig Cozart, the longtime college baseball coach, will join you with a scouting report. And then I had a conversation. Sans my co-host, Hunter Pence. I love the Hunter clips because he's the best. Taking a couple of weeks off. But with the number one team in the RPI, as we had the conversation, South Carolina, Mark Kingston, I'm hoping both of them talk about the subject. I'm hoping Craig talks about the new recruiting rules because on the third week of April, heading into the fourth week, the world changed forever as it pertains to recruiting heading into college baseball. August 1st, junior year, no contact outside of that. Family, player to coach, coach back to family and player, none. That's a complete change. It's the softball model. September 1st is the softball model. And they rave about it on the softball space. And it's exciting to talk about. You'll hear Kingston's thoughts about it. I love them. They're insightful. And when you're number one, your thoughts matter. And uh, Cozy, he's a dad. His son has gone through this. His sons uh, have gone through this. And, you know, <laughs> if you've even committed like his son, Sam, who's committed very young, and, and you fall into that, you can't talk to your coach, even if you're committed, until August 1st of junior year. So that's the additional part of this podcast, which I think makes it quite thoughtful. A couple of dudes heading into the draft that shouldn't be, that that have made their own way. And then, of course, thoughts on the new recruiting from, from guys who know what they're talking about and a dad who knows what he's talking about as well. Let's get it going. This is, this is a great listen. All right. I'm excited. Garrett Forster is joining us from Oregon State, a true junior, which we don't often get to say these days, but a true junior. And we're just going to start at the source, Garrett. First of all, welcome to Amateur Hour. How are you? Good. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm so good. I'm super excited to catch up with you and learn more about you. I, I want to start at the source, like I said, because you shared that Oregon State was a dream school since you were nine years old. And I know that I know that you've shared this with so many different people, but I think that the difference between somebody saying it and then actually living their dream, there's so much in between that has to happen and has to happen correctly so i just kind of want to know like take me back to nine-year-old garrett and what made you fall in love with oregon state well um nine years old just playing travel ball for sacramento capitals and the key uh group of kids on that team were the susacks and uh andrew susack played here at that time so we would come up here on trips all the time to watch him play and um, I fell in love with Corvallis and uh, Daniel Susack, Anthony Susack, TJ Nichols, Tyler Soderstrom. Those were all my buddies, and we would come and watch. And then we all at one time we were all committed here to play, and um, it was just we were taking all the NorCal kids to Oregon State, and it was really it was really cool. And then Coach Casey ended up retiring, and 
they they didn't know the future at Oregon State, so they followed Coach Yeski, which they were really close with. But uh, my heart was here, so um, I uh, I actually was up on a uh, recruiting trip at UW, and on the way back, I stopped and had uh, lunch with Coach Mitch, and got to sit down and actually meet him, and fell in love with him. It was like after that uh, lunch, I was like, man, I go to war for this guy. So um, he he offered me. When Coach Casey was here, um, I had talked to him a couple different times about, you know, getting a spot here. And then I had some injuries in high school. So uh, that that offer that I had kind of went away. But Coach uh, Canham offered me a preferred walk-on spot because he didn't really know a whole lot about me at the time. And um, I had offers to go pretty much anywhere in the pack, but I just I wanted to live my dream. So. I took that spot and uh, came up here as best decision I ever made, um, and it ended up working out for me. After my freshman year, I was offered a scholarship, and uh, here we are now. So yeah, even living the dream even more. You walked on. I did. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay, I I've missed that detail throughout my homework on you <laughs> that you walked on at your dream school and you you were patient and you, this that's yeah. how much that you wanted to be here and for that program and you you threw in a bunch of names a bunch of kids that you played with yeah. on your travel team and you know travel baseball uh, I played travel softball growing up so near and dear to my heart obviously with perfect game also a huge part of what happens throughout perfect game across the country throughout their events and whatnot so and i saw that your dad was your dad a coach of your travel team he was yeah yeah he's always been my coach uh, even in high school he was uh, assistant coach and um he's always been my hitting coach growing up and I've never hit with anyone else besides the coaches here at oregon state so yeah he's he's played a huge role in where i am today for sure Okay, how much fun was it? I, I can literally only imagine because I know how much fun I had with the, the just the gang of kids like that we were rolling with every weekend, yeah. wherever you were, right? And, and as you got older, but what was that like playing with like your friends, your dudes, and then your dad is your coach? It, it was a ton of fun. And the coaches that we had on my travel ball team growing up, um, uh, Johnny Susack, Nick Susack, uh, my dad, they were teaching us stuff that was very advanced for our age. So, I mean, from when we were 10 years old, we were playing 13 year olds and just, just rolling them out. It was, it was awesome. And the, uh, yeah, we were, we were really, really good for our age. And you could see that what they taught us, it was things that like I got taught my freshman year of college when they were so far advanced with us at that age. It just, you could see, um, I mean, where that turned out for all of us, um, we're all very, very uh, passionate and very good at what we do at the game. So, When you were growing up and you're, you're having this experience of domination, which is cool when you're a nine-year-old, yeah. right? And, and a 10-year-old, that's super cool. Yeah. When did you realize that your dad's job at one point in life was a Major League Baseball player? He was playing like a old man's league when I was growing up. So he was still okay. like playing a little bit. So I got to go watch him play and he was, he was still very good and it was very cool to watch. And, uh, I was, I mean, I was, had seven years old, eight years old, sitting in the dugout, sitting in the dugout, watching him play. And, um, I remember he would let me play catch with him before the games. So when he was getting warmed up, so, um, so I got to see him play a little bit. And um, I, I knew of his career, you know, I did, there wasn't no, it wasn't super long, but um, he's, uh, Jerry Weinstein was one of his coaches when he was playing at Sac City College and he's still a really close contact with him. So when I talked to Jerry, he's like, oh yeah, your dad was a stud growing up. So um, yeah, that's really cool to hear. And it's also like a, there's a, there's a trust there that he knows what he was doing and what he's teaching me as is, is the right thing. Yeah. I could imagine that the conversations also that you get from dad are so valuable to you, whether yeah. it's the car ride home or it's mm -hmm. maybe, maybe it's a text post game or pre game. Can you maybe dive in a little bit to what that relationship part is like now that you are at Oregon state and, and you're yeah. paving your own way for yourself? Yeah, for sure. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, when I go hit upstairs at night, I take a little video, send it off to him when I'm done. Hey, what do you see? And he'll give me feedback right away. And I mean, even if I'm feeling really good, send him a video. He'll, he'll hype me up and they'll be like, hey, you could do this a little bit better. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. That sounds good. So um, there's there's a, he's a great cheerleader and he's also a great coach. So there's a really good balance there. But to dive in a little deeper into my dad, um, he... In 2014, he had a brain tumor that wasn't handled correctly by medical staff and um, ended up blowing up in his head pretty much. And um, the blood from it, uh, from the tumor, uh, got on his optic nerves and it damaged them uh, very badly. And before he had emergency surgery, he actually went 100% blind. So um, he went into surgery when he came out. It was a it was a big ordeal and he almost lost his life. But um, he gained back about 25% of his vision. So he, he's now medically retired and he can't work and he can't drive. Um, he can still throw me BP, still sees enough to throw me BP and to tell me what's going on with my swing. But um, yeah, I feel like that was one of the big um, parts of my life and like who I am as a person because it matured me at a very young age. I was, I was 12 when he had the brain tumor and um, I went from a 12 year old to the man of the house. So um that's definitely made me who I am, but that's also a huge part of my, my life and his life. So, um, and he's now he's able to come up here all the time and he was super busy with work during the summertime. Um, so he's, he's, he sees it as a blessing sometimes, but he's also, I mean, you would never tell that he's extremely vision impaired, but, um, now he, he's here at almost every game and he, my girlfriend and him are, really tight so they're they're sitting right above the dugout and um they're they're very excited to be here and watch i i understand uh i i totally resonate with that story um when i was a kid and, and growing up with my dad as well uh lost him when i was young and and it gives you perspective in, in a way right yeah. you said you grew up really fast and nobody wants yeah. to grow up fast but i could imagine you're using that for good now i'd have to agree with that yeah. So, okay. Introduce me to the rest of your family because I, I just, I, I feel like, uh, I want to be a part of the Forrester family. <laughs> well, my young brother, Brandon, he's a freshman and he's also on the team. Um, when, uh, when we came through after that, uh, recruiting trip and talked to coach Mitch, he was a freshman in high school and, uh, he ended up, he got a full ride offer and uh, now he's here, so he's getting to live out his baseball dream now. And he's a he's a shortstop. He's a completely different person than I am, as in like body type. He's five nine on a good day and runs a six four sixty, and I'm the complete opposite. So uh, yeah, so there's definitely diversity diversity in the family. Yeah, and uh, my mom Melissa, she's a florist, and she has her own small business that she runs out of our house in Fair Oaks. California and uh, she does weddings and funerals and stuff like that. Wow. So, I mean, I, I, I didn't say this, but I, it's implied. I hope you know that I'm so glad your dad is okay and, and he's yeah. able to be there and, and still be a part of this journey with you. I, I can't imagine what that was like, but on that note, your mom, Melissa, I mm -hmm. mean, not only growing up, right, while, while dad was working and, and, and doing that, mom must have played a huge role in your upbringing and your baseball. Yeah, for sure. I'm, and from when I was 12 on and after my dad's accident, I mean, she was, she cut back a ton on her business because she was taking my dad to doctor's appointments and driving him anywhere that he needed to go. And as soon as I turned 15 and a half and got my permit, I was dad's chauffeur for a long time. He, he Luckily, he still had his uh, driver's license that hadn't expired yet at that time. So, uh, yeah, I was taking him everywhere. And But, yeah, she played a huge role. And, I mean, she's a fantastic mother and definitely took care of everything with the, the bills, the house, everything. Mm. She did a phenomenal job. And then t trying to take care of us on the side as well. Um, she did an amazing job that I'm very, very grateful for. It must be pretty neat now that, well, one, number one, mom doesn't have to root for two different schools, right? Especially maybe two competing yeah. schools with you and Brandon. Yeah. 
but also yeah. that you both are there and you, you get to kind of give this experience back to your family because I watch families in the stands and I think to myself, I, I can't even imagine how special it is for those moms and dads or grandparents or, or aunts and uncles to get to watch the kids that they raised live their dreams. So I, what what's her reaction to watching you both play on the same team now? Yeah, she she loves it. She thinks it's the coolest thing ever. But she is also the most humble person ever. Like if you were to talk to her about us, she'd be like, "Yeah, they're they're doing great." You know, <laughs> she's super super low key about it. She does not like to boast about us at all. And mm-hmm. even though in her heart she wants to, um, yeah. and it's very cool because my grandparents on my mom's side live in Rogue River, which is about three hours from here. So they're able to get up here and watch. And then her brother, uh, my uncle lives in Klamath Falls, which is about three and a half hours from here. So uh, there's definitely always family around to watch, um, which is also a great experience. And uh, thank, thank God we get free tickets for them. <laughs> Because yeah. uh, I always have a lot of people here, so I'm always asking teammates if they don't have, if they're not using their tickets, can I, uh, can I bum some off them? So, yeah, it's, the Forrester fam shows up, right? Y- yes, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I, I read as well uh, in your bio, which is so helpful and and awesome to see. I mean, not only your baseball accolades, but getting to know you a little bit too. That uh, after baseball, after your very long Hall of Fame successful career, that you would want to get into farming and so yes. is that a part of your family's background is that something that you grew up on yeah so um i'm big into hunting and mostly waterfowl hunting so um the waterfowl season just got over but uh what's a waterfowl? So uh ducks and geese that's okay. mostly yeah oh, hunting. waterfowl okay yes okay. yes so um yeah my dad my dad leases 375 acres of rice in the sacramento valley for the hunting purposes and the uh, from the farmer and him and the farmer have been great friends for over 30 years now and when my dad finished playing professional baseball he actually worked for the farmer for a couple of years before he got a job at um, mosquito vector control in sacramento so um yeah, they've always been really close. So my only job that I've ever had growing up is working on that farm and um, learning the ins and outs of that. And it actually grew my passion to come to Oregon State because of the great ag program we have here. And um, the farmer told me, hey, when you go to college, study the business side of agriculture because that's the most important part. And you'll learn all the other processes about soil and whatnot when, when you're doing it. But learning how to run a business is very important. So that's why I'm here studying that. And uh, on the side, I'm at my dream school playing for the best uh, baseball <laughs> team in the country. So, yeah. Yes. Oh, that's very, so great. Okay, uh, what would what would be the most surprising thing either about working on the farm or a task that coincides with baseball? You're like, I uh, push, I bail hay. Maybe yeah, I'm yeah. embarrassing myself. I bail hay, right? That makes you stronger? Oh, yeah. I'm throwing hay bales around. They call you country strong for a reason. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. I will doing been around there working on tractors and driving tractors at a super young age. There's definitely uh, there's a huge responsibility there um, doing. I mean, I'm driving a absolutely massive tractor around and uh, and uh, working with harvesters where there's a million things that can go wrong. And uh yeah, it, it's definitely a huge passion of mine to want to continue that um, for the farmer and whatnot, continue that business. Country strong, but also I I read that you maybe went by the nickname Donkey. Do you still go by Donkey? No, I do not, but okay. that's funny you say that. Johnny Susak gave me that nickname when I was probably <laughs> 10. And I remember he gave me that uh, nickname at practice one day and I come home and I go, mom, Johnny gave me a new nickname, Donkey. And she's like, oh, my gosh, it's terrible. It's terrible. But he's he's That's always right. saying, he's like, gee, yeah, you're like, he's like, gee, you're just strong like a mule. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I guess that works. But yeah, from then on, like all the kids I played against, they knew me by Donkey. First, and I was like, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Donkey and G-Force, those have been my nicknames for a very long time. I luckily don't go by Donkey anymore, but there's okay, plenty, yeah. other, uh, plenty other 
that I've got. Cowboy, I hear tons of fans in the stands calling me Cowboy and Big Country, so, so just stuff like that. It's quite funny. Do you welcome that? Do you do you think, oh, okay, I, I kind of like that. It's not bad. Yeah, well, I just like it because, I mean, I, it just shows that I have fans. Like, they, yeah. they're, yeah. they're, 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 like, they like me, and it's, I love that. And it's really cool to just go around town and go out to eat, and there's, people come up to me and Garrett how you doing like how are you guys gonna be this year stuff like that and it's it's it warms my heart for sure that there's people watching and um, that I am a, a good character for Oregon State and um, continuing this legacy here is very important to me and I'm glad that the fans uh, think that I'm doing so yeah, well, I think more than just that. I mean, we'll talk a little baseball now. I think that's that's important to do, too. I, I'm so glad you shared about your family, though, because I just in, in learning about you, it seems like your family plays such an important role. So I wanted to make sure we learned more about them. But last season, you earned all Pac-12 first team, Pac-12 tournament MVP, all Pac-12 tournament team, Corvallis regional all tournament team, 64 games, 332 batting average, nine home runs. I mean, the, the numbers are good there. I, I want to fast forward a little bit to that super regional. And yeah. and I had read that you've got a picture in your locker of Auburn dogpiling. Is that true? Do you have that? I do. Yeah, I do have that. It's hanging in my locker. Uh, it's just I have it there because it's very motivating. I don't want to be put in that position again. And it's there more so for the young guys as well as like, hey, we have this sour taste in our mouth of being so close to be where we wanted to be and what we always talk about where we want to go, um, which is Omaha. So um, I just, I have it there. So they, they see what we're fighting for and what we don't want this season to look like. We want to be on the. We want to dogpile on our own field, and uh, be on a plane to Omaha and go play against the best other seven teams in the country and uh, bring another national championship to Corvallis. So, um, yeah, I have it in there for me. Um, I I made the last out, so I definitely don't have to be motivated because I know how that feels. But I have it in there for them more so to be like, hey, let's let's do something special. I love that. I. I I don't want to linger on this, but I do want to know because I, I'm sure you've flushed it, but there had to have been a moment or two where it, it kind of hit you and you had to digest it. So yeah. how did you digest it and then be able to move forward? Yeah, I mean, being in that position of being up with two outs and whatnot and working a full count against what I believe was the best pitcher I've ever, ever seen. Um, and I think the Braves got a really good pick with that guy. He's he was a dude, um, but um, it was I flushed it pretty quickly. And then it's like now I'm like we were so close that it frustrates me more now. Um, but I remember like striking out and walking back to the dugout, and um, all the boys are upset and I'm upset. But I remember giving uh, Coach Gibson a hug and being like. Hey, we got we got business to get after for next year, and I know this was this is going to be a big year for me. And I I remember telling him like we got bigger things coming, and uh, he was like, I can't believe that you're thinking ahead like that already. And I just in that moment that was all that I wanted to think about because I didn't want to dwell on what just happened. But um, but now I think back, and it's it's more frustrating now than it was then for sure motivating though frustrating but motivating yes for sure yeah okay. okay i i'm ready to run through a brick wall for you so i mean whatever <laughs> you have you. this yeah this energy i think that's yeah. a that's a positive thing to carry i know the season is so close i just have one more for you i have to ask yeah. because i I mean, it's just, it feels like it's so you, your mullet. And I know you've been asked, but I think what people really need are the three keys to a good mullet. Like in your eyes, Garrett, what are the three keys? Yes. Oh, well, shoot. I personally, I take terrible care of this hair. Um, I, I have no idea what's going on most days. I'll wake up, it's going every freaking direction and trying to comb it before weights. It just looks like I combed it with a pork chop or something. Um, but 
I mean, I started growing, <laughs> I started growing it out the sophomore year of high school. And, um, I remember it was like winter time. I just started growing my hair out. My mom has always cut my hair. So I was like, Hey mom, can you just cut the top and leave the back and let's see what happens. And I remember growing it out and it got to a certain length. I was like, nah, I cut it all off. And then I grew it out again. I'm like, I'm sticking with it. This is, this is cool. This is coming back in style. So, and, uh, so I think patience for sure is number one. Um, but, uh, from then on, I couldn't tell you. Uh, I I really don't know. I really don't know. I couldn't tell you. Patience. I mean, that's a good one. Yeah. I'll take patience. Yeah. That's awesome. I, <laughs> I, I never want you to change. I think that you're incredible. Yeah. And we're going to have our eyes on your program this season. I, I'm so grateful that we got to do this, though, and, and learn more about you. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And I, I love being able to do stuff like this. So Mark Kingston is the coach of South Carolina, and they've hung around one of the great baseball stories in college baseball all year long. They, they opened almost perfect. They stayed as deep with one loss, then two losses as anybody else in college baseball. And, and Kingston's the reason why they're head coach. When you look at their roster, it's not 10 first-round draft picks. It's not an all-star team. It's a lot of team players. It's a bullpen that's crazy deep. They have a freshman in Ethan Petrie who just the other day was winning at Jupiter. There, there's so many unique things going on with this team. But he's got an opinion on the new recruiting rules, a clear opinion. And it's one we should listen to because he's a younger, successful coach who has earned the right to be here. His thoughts on the brand new recruiting rule. He was a part of Perfect Game College Baseball as seen on Perfect Game TV. I, I want to ask, as everything changes over the next couple of days, I make a mistake if I don't have a coach of your stature on and ask you about the recruiting changes, how things will affect college baseball, how you see it through your eyes and, and, and a successful recruiter as you've been, but how, how you think, see things changing here in the weeks, the months, and the years to come. Well, everybody has their own opinion, right? Everybody thinks it's good for this reason, bad for that reason. And it, there's a lot of layers to this as it relates to coaches, players, parents, travel ball coaches, organizations. It affects a lot of different people. What I will say, my personal opinion is, I think it's very good for the game. I think it's good for most people involved. I think we had gotten to a point as an industry that we were asking people to make decisions that were life-changing decisions much too early. And that relates to the coaches who had to make decisions based on trying to keep up with the Joneses and, and having to recruit eighth, ninth, and 10th graders. I think kids were having to make decisions way too early on where they were going to go to college at the age of 19 when they were 13 and 14. Um, as a father of three myself, I, none of my kids were ready to pick their college when they were a freshman in high school. I can assure you of that. So I think it's going to obviously be a, a situation where everybody's able to make better decisions. And that's what this should be all about is let's all make informed decisions, both from the coach's standpoint of who do we need to recruit? Who do we need in our program? Who fits the bill? You're going to be able to make a lot better decisions on our end later in the process rather than earlier. And I think the same could be said for kids. Kids, what they think is important at 13 and 14, sometimes when they're 17 and 18, that has changed. And uh, I think it's a positive thing for all involved. And just a quick follow-up, the dad and me, and I only had daughters and they're all out of the house now, but the dad and me tends to think that you might get that 17-year-old kid or 16 or 15-year-old kid that doesn't quit the sport because he looks around and maybe he sees at 14 all his friends committed and he says, I'm going to go do something else because I'm not committed and my buddies are. I think that selfishly for me, and I love your thoughts on this, it excites me for that kind of 13, 14-year-old, if there's such a thing, fringe player who keeps playing, and all of a sudden, maybe he's playing shortstop for you because he kept playing. Well, yeah, and that's a great point, Darren. We've all heard the terms late bloomer, right? There are a lot of late bloomers in our sport, especially, because either you, you're a late bloomer because you grew later or because you, you figured out something within your game later, or if you're a pitcher, maybe you, you, you gained your control later or your velocity. Uh, our sport is filled with late bloomers. So the later we can make these decisions, the better. And I think it takes, I think it, it allows guys longer, you know, it, it allows these kids longer to blossom, to grow into what they're going to be. Instead of being told at 13 or 14, well, you're not in the top percentile, you're not being recruited. So you've already missed the boat. Uh, you don't miss the boat when you're 14 years old in a recruiting process. So I think it's a very positive thing. I would also say that 
I think there was some pressure put on all these kids that was unnecessary at those ages. One, if a lot of kids felt pressure if they weren't committed yet, uh, because they felt, they looked around and all my buddies are committed and I don't have what's wrong with me. You know, you get that mentality by the same token. I think a lot of pressure was put on kids that were committing to major power five schools because that put a lot of attention, a lot of spotlight on kids. And they all of a sudden they had a target on their back every time they played, whether it was for their high school or their travel team or showcases. And that target was put on their backs at much too early an age for kids to have to worry about. Uh, We just need to let the kids enjoy playing baseball, enjoy getting better, enjoy all the things that come along with what makes our sport great, the camaraderie, the travel, the seeing all going all around the country. There's so many great things um, that I think now will be able to be enjoyed by a lot of people because we're not putting that pressure on them so early. We love when our scouts open up their notebooks, but in this case with Craig Kosar, perfect game scout at the college age group and part of the rankings that you see every week with Vinny Servino. But Craig's a dad, his son a, a commit, his son a talented player, his son's playing college baseball. He was a longtime college coach as well. We're lucky to have him on the PG team. He opens up his scouting notebook, his focus, the new recruiting rules and their impact. In the past couple of weeks, the college baseball recruiting landscape has changed drastically as the NCAA Division I Council approved sweeping changes within the recruiting process that drastically alters recruiting. In essence, the new rules eliminate recruiting communication between college coaches and high school underclassmen, including scholarship or roster offers. Now, the best way to understand this is to review what the rules used to be. In the past, college coaches could initiate communication with recruits starting September 1st of their junior year. Recruits could initiate communication with college coaches at any point in time. Third parties could help facilitate communication and set up times to meet uh, and communicate to open up recruiting dialogue between college coaches and recruits. And verbal offers and verbal commitments had no limitations so long as the communication doesn't break any of the NCAA rules. Where are we now? New communication rules starting back on April 26th of 2023 Coaches and players cannot initiate communication prior to August 1st of that prospect's junior year. Third-party communication between a college coach and a high school uh, coach, travel coach, to a recruit or recruit's family is now against the rules prior to August 1st of the summer before a prospect's junior year. No official, unofficial campus visits or official campus visits or off-campus contacts can take place prior to September 1st of a prospect's junior year as well. And there are no longer any restrictions, however, on the total number of official visits that a prospect can take as long as they only take one official visit uh, per institution unless there is a coaching change. So what does this all mean? Well, the process is significantly slowing down. The winners in this are the players are the coaches themselves, are the families, because college coaches no longer have to worry about courting 13 and 14-year-olds to keep up with their competition in the rat race for commitments, and 14-year-olds no longer have to worry about feeling like they're missing out if they're not committed going into their freshman year in high school. So all of these things are good, and it's going to make the game better. It's going to allow players to actually sit back, relax, Uh, learn their craft, hone their craft, and also prevent college programs and coaches from making mistakes when they commit players way too early and therefore doing away with the decommitments. So this is what's best for our game. It's going to be exciting moving forward and definitely something that uh, we're going to watch closely in the next couple years. Cole, we're excited to have this conversation because you've taken another 2020 journey. And every time on this podcast, we talk to a 20 kid and you're not a kid, you're a grown man, but all those that lost their senior years of high school. And as a parent of two that did certainly uh, real life kids, real life people that just went on to college, you were an athlete trying to grow. You were at PG's national showcase in 2019. And yet you've grown from where you were losing that senior year to second round. If you're looking at PG's draft board, How proud are you of the progression through San Diego State 
and who you have become as an athlete, understanding you started in quicksand because anybody who came out playing baseball, especially in California, dude, you know this, anybody who came out playing baseball in California where everything was closed, the state schools were, the Cal State schools were a challenge. You've got to be thrilled as we have this conversation today that you've gotten out of the quicksand and you're moving pretty swiftly. Yeah, I mean, coming out of high school, losing my 2020 year, my senior year, uh, you know, I had a lot of good things going for me uh, that year, especially with Tyler uh, Soderstrom bringing a lot of a lot of scouts in that year, and it kind of got shut down pretty quick after our fifth game, and you know, things were looking up during that year, and then you know, kind of forced me to go to college and. I felt like I made the right decision either way, and I've grown a lot, and I'm super happy with where I'm at. You know, there's still a lot of work to do, but um, I feel like I'm in a good spot right now for sure. Some descriptive adjectives, if you don't mind, of San Diego State's program that allows a player like you to flourish, that allows a player like you to develop. What are some of the key components of this program and Coach Martinez that allow a player like you to do what you've done? Yeah, he's just been uh, super awesome about uh, letting me kind of do – Everything that I've always done is play with a lot of different positions. You know, pitching's over for me now, but I was pitching last year and the year before, um, playing short, playing third, playing center, catching a little bit. You know, he's just he's he's always been good about me getting my work in at other positions, and he you know he's there early after practice. Um, you know, he's always there wanting to work, and especially our other coaches and stuff too. Everybody's everybody's willing to work whenever you want to. So you mentioned the positions and it doesn't take long. You know, you do a little search of your name, read any bio, read anything really about you. And it, it's so impressive what you've done in college. We, we talked about high school before we started and the positions that you played. You pull up your stats. There's pitching stats there. And I could imagine that you're pretty prideful that you're so versatile. And I think... That's more important than ever, to be honest, in baseball right now is to be able to play different positions. Yeah. But you shared what your favorite was. So share that again and tell us a little bit why you love that position. Yeah, so catching has definitely been my uh, favorite position since I was probably five years old. Uh, for whatever reason, on my, it must have been my fifth or sixth birthday, I asked my dad for uh, some catcher's gear for my birthday. And ever since then, I, I love catching and Honestly, for me now, it's 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 so easy to to hit. Like you know, you say you have a couple bad at bats, and then you get behind the plate. You you can't think about those at bats anymore. You gotta go straight to catching, and you know you have to be in on every pitch. And that's that's kind of what I love about it. Yeah, you mentioned your family, your dad, Mike, your mom, Lisa, and your dad played in college, played a little bit after too. What, take us back, like growing up playing with dad in the backyard or or at the ball fields around your neighborhood. Take us back. Yeah, no, it was, it was good. I definitely grew up probably having to play baseball, that's for sure, me and my older brother. And uh, he's a, he's been a huge part, you know, being able to play with him and his uh, his friends and stuff when I was growing up. So I always had to always had to be better growing up with a brother five years older. And, you know, you know, dad was tough, just like any other dad wanting good for their kid. And, you know, I think, I think I'm doing him pretty proud right about now. Give an example. If you're going to say dad was tough and, 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 and Matt's plus five on you, Matt goes on to play at yeah. Portland and has his uh, a labrum and yeah. his journey there, a, a labrum injury. But if you say dad was tough, let me, let me go back in time and kind of peer into the, into the window of your life and give me a backyard back and forth with plus five brother and dad out there when you guys were going at it. Yeah, I mean, I grew up catching and my brother was always, he was pitching and playing short, so I had to catch his bullpens when I was, five years younger dad didn't want to get down there no more so um you know just little things like that and uh you know it was just it was it was a good time it really helped me out yeah those are those are fun memories that's what builds i think the foundation for the yeah. sport why you keep going if you have an offer if you have an offer two games in a row it's moments like that 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 keep you hanging in there plus the dream of what could yep. be next the life of a switch hitter i'm, I'm impressed by i'm amazed by i respect as an athlete myself uh, back in the day, um, wh how long ago did you become the natural right-handed hitter who's a switch hitter, and what went into making that decision? Yeah, so I had always kind of done switch just like for fun, playing and you know wiffle ball in the backyard, taking BP, whatever. It was kind of always decent, but I had always played just right-handed. And one day I was hitting with my dad's buddy who played with, you might know the name, Rich Aldretti. He uh, is, uh, I believe his brother is coaching, I don't know where anymore, but yeah, um, 
he told me to stick with it and put it put it in the game. So since I was about 11 years old, I've I've been hitting left-handed too. So can you give me just a description of the maintenance? Uh, we kidded about it in the pre-interview yeah. that you know it's almost like having split personalities. Yeah. If you're a guy, it's like trying to manage dating two yeah. girls. Can, can you give me a bit of an, a description of the maintenance? You know, for the for the lay person, if you will. Yeah. So I wish they were similar swings, but um, I'm right hand dominant and everything I do. So lefty likes to get up and get under the ball. Right hand, top hand likes to take over. So you kind of got to do opposite things to make sure they're both in sync. And uh, yeah, it's, it, it's a lot of work. Um, I definitely put put in a lot of time, definitely hitting, got to do double than everybody else is doing. And um, you got to figure out both sides. And it's basically the opposite from both sides. You got to do different things. <laughs> D, I see you. I see you ruminating over there about it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's yeah, it's double the work. Yeah. I mean, no one wants to do double the work, but it's double the fun yeah. if it works. You know, it's double the work, but it's just like anything else in life that says the old dad sitting here. If you put in the work, it'll work out. But it's double yeah. the work. <laughs> no, it's awesome. It's awesome. I mean, if you look at some of your numbers, you know, you went to the Cape last year, but before that, between your freshman and sophomore year. You know, you you lower your strikeouts. Your your numbers are are all growing in the right direction. So I, I think the Cape is awesome, and, and I know we'll maybe talk about that. But between freshman and sophomore year, what were the the parts of your game that you went home and said, or maybe you didn't go home, wherever you went and said, we got to work on this? Yeah, I I would say freshman year, honestly, the biggest thing for me was strength. I was probably six three pushing 180 and kind of just lacking some strength there and um, that summer uh, I played in Alaska um, with a few of my teammates and we really hit the gym hard I probably played my sophomore season at 195 and um, felt a lot better felt stronger and I didn't really do too much different obviously I just worked on my stuff every day and it, it just things got a little bit better and I think I got stronger and I really think that's that's what helped everything and for your defense, you know, maybe a little similar. Maybe there's a parallel to having to work twice as hard. Mm -hmm. How many gloves do you have? And where do you take or where do you play when BP is happening and during practices? Where where are you on the field for practice? Yeah, so I have four gloves. I have my catcher's glove. I got two infield gloves and an outfield glove. And then um, during practice... Usually, just for my arm's sake, I get to pick one day what I want to throw, what position at, and whether I need to do outfield cuts and relays, or I need to do cuts and relays at short, or I need to catch your throws, I get to pick one, so I don't wow. blow my arm out. <laughs> and then, um, kind of just depends on the day, what, what's more important that day, what we're doing, and then I'll, I'll go to whatever position that would be. And then, just real quick, D, during... Um that was during practice, right? During BP, like before games, what, what's your goal defensively? Like, are you out there uh, using BP to, to practice and get better at your positions? Yeah. Um, for, so I'll, I'll do, uh, there's four rounds of BP. Uh, two of them are rather than the cage or on the field. And then you get two shag. So I'll be in center field to start, you know, get my live reads. Cause you know, that's the only time to really get live reads off the bat. And then uh, second round, I'll go to short and turn double plays with the infielders as well. Awesome. So, so, so Cole, as far as catching bullpens, not all catchers love that. We know you can work on catching and catching <laughs> bullpens. But if I'm in your shoes, the moment the dude, and we don't want to mention any names, but the moment the dude who all he ever does is spike his slider because <laughs> he's really working on it, that'd be the time that I would go work on outfield. I'd be like, I'd love to catch you, friend, over here, but that'd be the time I'd like to go work on outfield. Uh, are you able to slide out of some bullpens? Because let's be honest, catchers don't love catching bullpens. Uh, I mean, you don't really get to slide out of them. You got, I mean, I still got to catch. I, oh, I still wow. catch bullpens every week. You know. That's yeah. part of it, right? I mean, I guess if you're going to call yourself a catcher, you have to, <laughs> to put on the, the, the tools of yeah. ignorance. Uh, another old man way to describe it. Junior year. Hell of a basketball player. You were really good. That's that's where I'm starting. You take it the rest of the way. Yeah, I mean, growing up, I played basically all sports you could play, you know, football, basketball, and baseball. Football ended a little bit early because my brother dealt with some concussions and stuff, and they took me out. But basketball, I always had a knack for. I just really athletic and kind of never really worked on it that much. Just kind of came to me. 
And no, I just, I enjoyed the competitiveness of being, you know, everybody's super close and right around you and it's always back and forth one-on-one. -on -one. So I just, uh, I, I always loved it and competed and, you know, I, I worked real hard uh, my junior year um, trying to get better and, you know, senior year I didn't play. Wish I would have played because baseball got cut short, but you can do. Yeah. All league, all league, all league defender, all league player, junior year at Turlock High School. Prior to that, maybe going back um, six years, uh, your mom, Lisa, who uh, at, at some point in her life worked in veterinary medicine, I know that, um, but she had to deal with something that she didn't want to, and, and I'm sure a lot of prayer and surrounding yeah. helped, and I'm sure for you it's yeah. scary as an 11-year-old when your mom went into a fight against breast mm -hmm. cancer. Um, what do you recall about that, and um, how did you guys push through as a family, and how thrilled are you that she pushed through to the other side? Yeah, so, I mean, that was a couple years after my parents had gotten divorced, and, you know, my mom got stage stage 2 breast cancer, and, you know, she, she fought her butt off and beat it. You know, she had to go through, like, a, man, it must have been a 13-hour surgery or something like that. It wasn't, wasn't fun. Um, I was still kind of little, so I kind of remember bits and pieces, but um, it was a good collective group. You know, my my dad was still super great helping out with her, and um, my stepmom as well helped out with uh, my mom and, you know, helped help take care of us more and do stuff for her. It, it was a good family uh, collective group, and, you know, she, she battled through it, and that's, you know, you can't really be mad at things at the end of the day after uh, experiencing that, and, you know, she, 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 uh, She's a strong lady, that's for sure. Yeah, that's what I, I was going to ask. I mean, the takeaway has got to be you go to the field and you, you get to play a kid's game, right? And and is that what you've carried on to college? Yeah, you know, definitely. I mean, you lose it sometimes just because you kind of forget about those things. And, you know, when you get reminded of it, like I am right now, it kind of just takes takes perspective of, uh, you know, how, uh, how a cherishable life is. So. Yeah, that's a great answer. Mm -hmm. Real quick, I did I did want to go back because I I you're reminding me of Mookie Betts right now, based on the fact that I know don't don't cock your head I see that let me get there let me get to my point I'll for a quick it. second, good at everything. Drafted as a shortstop, didn't play shortstop until last week, later last week, earlier this week, right mm -hmm. in his entire big league career. But I feel like that dude is good at everything he does, bowling. Uh, baseball, basketball, everything. What What is the thing that you would do? This is where I'm going with it, T. Everyone likes it. What would you do sports-wise if you were not playing college baseball and, and hoping to be drafted and have a long, great, successful career? What would I do? Oh, man. I would... That's tough. Basketball, basketball is definitely up there. But also, I think snowboarding would be up there as well. Oh. Yeah. See, he can do it all. What are you bad at? What's the thing that you're not good at sports-wise? Is there anything? Golf. I can't <laughs> figure golf out. That's it's terrible. So hard. Like, it's what a waste of five hours. Seriously, I don't get and it. And then you go back with a new mindset every time, and you're so excited. And then by hole five, you're already. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's terrible. Just... Just take the beer to your porch and go look out at the pretty view and save the hundred plus dollars that you paid to go golf. Like I'm with you, Cole. I, bless you, Cole. I'm I, I'm so with you. Hey, I want I want to do this question that all Gen Zers seem to be more transparent about, and you guys seem to be more honest than than let's say my generation. Have you pictured draft day? Have you pictured what it could be like? Have you had that daydream when you're maybe taking an afternoon nap when you get a rare moment? And if you have had that daydream, what does it look like? Yeah, for me, I mean, I think it's just, you know, it's going to be an exciting day for my family. I want it to be kind of a small day with just my really close friends and my, my, my immediate family. That's, I don't, I don't want nothing real big. I just want to uh, share that moment with them. But it's cool that you allow yourself to think about it. It's no fun to, to give the answer. I'm just focused on the next game because that's kind of what you're one of the, one of the no, reasons yeah, you're I working mean, towards, right? One of them. Yeah. I'd be lying if I said I haven't thought about it. Cool. I think what's fun, Danny, is we, gosh, great stuff with Cole and with Garrett. I think what's fun is we're now at the point for us fanboys and girls of this space um, where there's mock drafts coming out now. And it's not just perfect game. Let's, let's not be silly here. It's, it's everyone. It's MLB. They do a great job. It's Baseball America. It's CBS Sports. It's anyone who wants 
coverage and clicks and eyeballs. But Perfect Game does do a nice job because they've seen different than most, probably outside of the MLB team, they've, they've seen these athletes since they were 13. And, and so it's fun to now take guys like Cole and guys like Garrett and put them in the vegetable soup with players that are in high school that we know, with Arjun Namala. Hey, where does Arjun Namala fit in with Cole Kerrigan? Where do these players all fit together? And uh, we're starting to get closer to the payoff. So to know the who, who they are, who impacted them, um, what makes them tick, to me at this point now, makes this podcast even a little bit more impactful. Well, I just think it continues to speak to development and what college is doing. We know these guys maybe got... They, they changed their route because of the shortened draft or they weren't ready or whatever it might have been. We, we can't play the guess who game, right? But I do think that for Cole, being able to play and start in so many games as a freshman and for Garrett who had to prove himself and he earned his spot and then earned the scholarship and now he's a, a core piece at Oregon State, it just shows you what it, means to dedicate yourself and to put in the time and put the work in to earn yourself higher spots on those draft boards because I think we get caught up a lot in the top prospects coming into college and we don't learn enough about the dudes who are working their way up and the development I think it's easy to look at the guys who are maybe a little shinier and sexier and and have the big names but really, you get to know these two guys, and I mean, listen, they have the foundation, I think, to be big leaguers and, and maintain their place in the big leagues because they have this cool college foundation. And it never ceases to amaze me how these guys are more developed and more ready to play at the big league level. And and I, I think the thing that I've talked about a little bit is, is you know, Paul Skeens, if, if Paul Skeens goes one, two out of LSU, right? And I think Paul Skeens could plug in to a bullpen in the postseason this year. And I, I think that that's like a, a thought that a lot of people have. But if you really look at it, Brandon Finnegan did it in 2014 out of TCU for the Royals. And I think Paul Skeens could do the same. And that's because, like, he went to college. And he's getting this elite development. So I just, it speaks a lot, I think, to these guys and their character and their willingness to put in the work. And so kudos then to Mark Martinez and Mitch Canham, progressive coaches who mm. have some pretty strong values if you want to wear their uniforms. They're very different men. They've had very different journeys. Um, Canham, I, I love talking with him, you know, doing a lot of stuff around the pack, and I'm always biased to California coaches like Mark Martinez and his journey. I just want to put a bow on it with this, and I'll keep it short if I can. I, I think you talk about the 2020 pandemic guy that lost his season goes to college because he's good. I mean, you have to be good to go play Division One college baseball, but then takes advantage. I know we, we heard thoughts um, from Mark Kingston and from Craig Cozart on the new recruiting rules. And I'll just say this, and I, and I talked about it with Mark, um, and I'd, I'd welcome your thoughts as we put a bow on this. I think what excites me the most is, um, look, there's always going to be elite players that deserve to be ranked number one and number five and number 10 when they're 13 and 14 and 15 years old. And a lot of those players stay in that spot the entire time, and they end up being a very high draft pick. I think what excites me the most is uh, for the athlete who, I don't even know about rankings, let's throw them out. For the athlete who plays on a travel team because his high school buddy invited him and said we need a right fielder, and he plays on that travel team at like 11, 12, and 13, and his parents are able to support, or grandma or grandpa or stepdad, someone's able to support it because that costs money. But he sees then as he's playing on that travel team at 11, 12, and 13 that his friend over here and his buddy over there and his kid who he walks to school with and the one guy who they both like the same girl, they have all earned the right to talk to college coaches. They've committed. And so at 14, he quits. And he's no longer playing high school baseball. He's no longer playing travel ball. It's an expensive investment, you know, after all. And it didn't really happen for me. Um, all my little buddies are, you know, either hearing from colleges or committing at 14 and 15. I'm probably exaggerating with the ages, but I'm done. Like I'll play for my high school team, but that's all. And I'm not going to play the extra 50 games a year. That kid's not quitting now. That kid's not quitting now. And he may be the starting shortstop for filling the blank team and playing college baseball. He may earn a division two or an NAI scholarship or a junior college scholarship. That's what excites me the most. They've seen it happen in softball. 
They've seen it happen. We're now far enough back five plus years where the athlete that saw the 13, 14 year old commit, now no one's committing. They all know who's good. They're not dumb. They know who the best players are. There's coverage. But I think that's what excites me most. A little soapbox moment there. That kid isn't quitting now because even though he looks over there and his buddy who he rides his bike with all the time and hangs out with and games with, he knows this dude's way better than him right now. He knows he is. But he's not quitting because he'd like to play college baseball too. He's pretty good too, but he's not as tall and he's little and he hasn't had his growth spurt. I love the fact that even if there's one of those kids, and there's going to be hundreds, but that there's one of those kids, that's what excites me about these new rules. Too much pressure at a young age. Yeah, I mean, there's not much more you can really say. You nailed it. I just think it, it helps grow I the usually game. do, by the way, just to let you know. Yeah. All our listeners. Well, yeah. Today's your day. Today's your day. I'll give you that. I don't yeah. Know. I, yeah. Grow the I game. I did have a coffee. I'm proud of you. Grow the game. That's what matters. Grow the game. Give kids more chances and, and let the kids literally grow. I think that's probably an important part of all of this as well. Yeah. You said it really well. Well, as we all know, there's nothing more put together and organized and a finished product than a 13-year-old boy, right? There you go. I mean, that is the finished product. On the seventh day, God rested and said, I I made that 13-year-old boy. It is finished. That's the valuable point. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Subscribe. We thank the SIDs to work with Danny, the athletes. Danny produces this oh so very well. Uh, This is Amateur Hour. Subscribe and listen. We'll have another one soon with... Great players. Way, way better players than Danny and I were. We know that. (laughs) Speak for yourself.